Well, hello, everyone. It's John Byrne with Poets of Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Maria Whitfilla and Caroline Diorki edwards Caroline, of course, is the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions, a leading MBA admissions firm and the former director of admissions at NCOD. Maria is the founder of Applicant Lab, which helps applicants through a lot of videos and self-paced exercises to get their application done at a very reasonable price. (laughs) So we want to talk about interviews. You know, we're hearing from people who get the interview, think they've done well, and then ultimately get rejected. And I wonder how that disconnect can occur, because it occurs quite frequently where someone walks out of an interview and they think they've done amazingly well, and then they get turned down. Or conversely, they think they bombed it, they blew the whole opportunity, and then they get accepted. How come you can't tell when you walk out of that interview whether or not you're going to get accepted? Caroline? Well, the interview is one component in the evaluation. So when the admissions committee invites a candidate to interview, of course, they think that that candidate looks very strong and looks like they could be potentially a great addition to the program. But then post-interview, the admissions committee will review the entire profile again in the light of the feedback from the interview. And they'll also be comparing them to other candidates in the pool, especially those with similar profiles and how they stack up and how they compare um, across the board, right? Not just at the interview stage. So it, it is possible that an interview can go very well and a candidate gets rejected, especially at the most competitive schools. You know, there is an element of, of luck, right, that, um, that comes into it, especially if you're applying to the M7 schools where there are so many people applying. And especially if you have a profile that is perhaps overrepresented in the applicant pool, even with you know everything in your favor, a strong profile and a, and a good interview, it might still not be enough to get you in. You're not being evaluated in isolation, right? It's not just about how good you are as a candidate. It's about how you compare to other people who are applying and, and they're taking the best people out of that pool. So a lot of the decision relates to, you know, look evaluating that pool overall and, and selecting the best from that. So, you know, it, and it's often the case that candidates think and mistakenly think that if they've got to the interview stage, then after, at that point, it's only about the interview, right? And they think if I, if I do well in the interview, then I'm in. And that's not true, right? And, you know, I've often had to explain that to candidates. I've had to explain that to alumni interviewers when I was working at INSEAD, right? Because sometimes the interviewers think, right, you know, if I've given this person my thumbs up, then they have to get in now. Um, And they think that they are the final gatekeeper. And if they like that candidate, then they should automatically get a place in the school. And And it's not the case, right? It's the interview is still one component of the picture overall in a, in a very competitive process. So it's tricky, right? Because it's it's not cut and dried. It's not black and white. And there's so many different elements to the process. And I guess it's especially disappointing because you think if you make it to the, the interview stage, man, you've got something going for yourself, right? Yeah, yes, that's right. And you have, right? I mean, the, the school is not going to, well, you know, the vast majority of schools only interview candidates where they see that they have genuine potential to be great additions to the program. 
they have most schools have limited capacity for interviewing and so it is a very positive sign and um you know candidates should certainly be encouraged if they get to that that stage right their chances of getting in have definitely gone up substantially if they get to the interview stage so you know i would say it's unusual that candidates get interviews at multiple schools and then still don't get any offers right i don't see that very often and i think if that happens then probably there's something going wrong at the interview stage right maria what's your take on yeah i agree as usual with everything caroline said first of all if you're getting interview invites then that's a sign that something is going right i think that there's a because the statistic is that there is a 50-50 chance once you statistically speaking, it's a 50-50 chance, but that doesn't mean that your chances are necessarily 50-50 once you get to the interview stage, right? Like there could be people who are pretty much going to get in no matter what because their profiles are so strong and that unless they, you know, confess to murdering puppy, you know, unless they do something horrible in the interview, they're getting in either way. And then there are people who are sort of borderline candidates who are invited to interview because it's like, well, let's, you know, this person might be interesting. Let's see what they have to say. So there, you know, it, it might, it's 50-50 overall, but it might not be 50-50 for each person. And by the way, it's 50-50, but that means that half of people who get the interview are not getting in. It's not like it's 80-20. If it were something like 90% of people who get interviewed get let in and 10% don't, then you'd say, whoa, man, that is a bummer. That is weird that you get multiple interview invites. But if it's 50-50, then you have half of a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. There's a one or two chance that you're not getting in. And so I, I think that, you know, and I, and I also agree with Caroline, you know, sometimes I get people reaching out and saying, oh, what went wrong? What went wrong in my interview? What went wrong? Maybe nothing went wrong. Maybe it's just that somebody else was slightly better. Maybe somebody else in your bucket, your competitive bucket, whatever that bucket is, finance, tech, consulting, there was somebody else who was just slightly better than you. So it's not that you did anything quote unquote wrong. It's just that these schools are interviewing, especially in the overrepresented buckets, they're interviewing, you know, sometimes hundreds and hundreds of people with very, very, very similar backgrounds. And if one person like, you know, is leading a team of two people and one person is leading a team of 10 people, you know, it just, it, it sometimes just might come down to like, okay, we can only take one person from this bucket. This one person is a little bit more impressive, or this one person made a little bit more effort to get to know the school, or this one person you know, has a, a career plan that matches what our resources are focused on, whatever. And so anyway, it's, it's not necessarily that something went wrong. And if you're getting the interview invites to begin with, and that's certainly a sign that your profile uh, and application mm -hmm. are strong to begin with. And there can be bad interviews, right? I mean, I know some applicants talk about uh, showing up, uh, the interviewer shows up late, uh, they seem completely uninterested in what the applicant is saying they cut the interview off the interviewer or interviewee off what what do you what do you make of just getting the the the, the bad straw and, and having an awful interviewer well ho hopefully that doesn't happen too often um but but you're right it can happen interviewers can have bad days just of can just as candidates can have bad days but you know the schools try to keep the process as consistent as possible Unfortunately, given the volume of interviews they're handling sometimes, that it, it's not always the case. And I didn't see how that's why the school has two interviews, because, you know, the school has many thousands of alumni interviewers. And if, for whatever reason, one of the interviews doesn't go particularly well, because maybe the interviewer was having a bad day, as you say, and maybe 
that just, you know, it was bad chemistry for whatever reason, then it gives the candidate another shot. So, uh, you know, that that can be useful if there are two interviews, it gives it, it gives the candidate a second chance, right? If you've got that, 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 that option. But otherwise, I mean, that's why candidates should apply to more than one school, right? Because things can go wrong in the process that are out of your control. So, you know, don't put all of your eggs in one basket and don't get too, don't set your heart completely on, on one possible outcome from this, this process. Maria, what are the typical mistakes that people make in an admissions interview? Well, there are, there are many, many. I think some of the most common ones would be, first of all, not explaining very clearly why you are a good fit with the program. The other one that I see a lot is not really explaining your story well, where I know what you as the candidate did. So maybe you were on a team that did something that was cool and you say, well, so we were charged with finding the solution to this problem and we got together and we had meetings and we solved the problem, which is nice, but we are not applying. If your whole team were applying to business school, I'd say, cool, like, let's let you all in. But the problem is that you are applying. And so there's often this, this lack of specificity. Um, and sometimes when you probe during the interview, the, the bullet point on the resume might say, member of a team that did something amazing. And then you start asking questions and probing on that. And then you find out like, well, really, I was the person who was just taking the notes and doing the documentation. Right. And so <laughs> you start to ask questions like, well, so how did how did that vice president respond when you said your product idea is terrible? And they're like, well, that really wasn't me. That was someone else. So that is something that that could go wrong. One of the things that I think is is kind of a little bit, you know, there's a circular logic thing here going on here where a big part of what the interview is meant to try to figure out is someone's uh, level of emotional maturity, someone's self-awareness. And sometimes people who lack self-awareness, they get rejected, you know, they get rejected or the interview goes poorly because they lack self-awareness, but because they lack that self-awareness, they think the interview went very well. And so, <laughs> they come out saying like, oh, I, I really nailed it, man. When I when I said that I'm going to be the CEO of five different companies, right? I, I, man, they loved me. And you're like, well, okay, maybe maybe they didn't. So I think those are the ones that sort of jumped jumped to mind. And when you come out of an interview, no matter how you feel about it, and then you get rejected, you can't automatically assume it was your performance during the interview that got you rejected, right? Correct. Exactly. Because as, as Caroline I mentioned before, you know, it's, it could be so many other things. It could have been that maybe you were sort of borderline uh, to begin with and they weren't, you know, they were sort of like, ah, this person might be interesting. Let's see. Or it could have just been, again, that someone else, maybe two people have very similar titles. And when you get to the end of very similar bullet points on the resume, but then when you get to the interview and you start asking for details, you realize that, you know, these these it is more apples to oranges and one person really did take more of a leadership position, whereas the other person was more passive or one person was better at working with other people versus the other one who was more of a solo contributor. So, you know, it could be it could be a number of things that really have nothing to do. You could do it. You could have a fantastic interview and uh, still not get in. Yep. Caroline, your common mistakes that you've seen in the years that you were head of admissions at NCI, because I'm sure that even though alumni did interviews, mm. uh, you did them as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes for candidates, it's easier to get their story across and, and look strong on paper because they've had a lot of time to think about it and map things out. But then, as Maria said, you know, you need to be able to substantiate your story and go into a lot more detail at the interview stage. And sometimes candidates don't stack up so well when someone starts to probe more deeply into the impact that they've had or or it could be things like, um, you know, their sense of fit with the school, right? And, and um, you know, whether they are genuinely motivated to attend that school and, and whether they've really invested time and effort in, in understanding what is special about that community and, and how they will fit into that and what they will contribute. You know, I've certainly seen that. I mean, I remember once doing an interview myself with a candidate. I mean, not, I, I didn't often interview candidates, but I did very occasionally when I was at INSEAD and it was on the Singapore campus and the candidate living and working in Singapore, but had never visited the Singapore campus of INSEAD. I mean, Singapore is a small city, right? It's not a lot to ask that if you are applying to an MBA and planning to invest, you know, so much time and effort and money in into your education, then perhaps it would be a good idea to visit it um, if it's on your doorstep. And, and so... Um, you know, to me, that was a very bad signal about how well prepared he was and how well motivated he was. So so there's lots of different things, right? And I think that candidates should prepare for the interview. You know, schools will ask some pretty obvious questions often, right? It's not difficult to Google, you know, typical MBA interview questions and figure out what are the things that are likely to come up. Candidates do sometimes trip up on the obvious questions, and that, that's a shame. That's just poor preparation. On the other hand, you know, they, they sh- shouldn't be overly rehearsed either. Sometimes candidates, especially who are not native English speakers, are very concerned about their performance and sort of memorize responses to some questions. And then they come across as you know, somewhat mechanical and their, their personality may not shine through as well because they are too nervous and, and sort of focusing on giving a perfect performance rather than a genuine response. So I think, you know, practice really helps um, and getting some genuine feedback from someone who knows something about your profile and understands, you know, what the schools are looking for and, and how these interviews are run. Of course, and there are different formats for interviews as well. I mean, that's something to be aware of and prepare for. Of course, you know, there are very different types of interviews that different schools have. And so you should definitely do your research and and prepare accordingly. Yeah, all, all good advice, which means that it, it's helpful to have a mock interview. And if you don't have an admissions consultant, uh, you should at least hire one for a mock interview, I think. Particularly if the stakes are really high, you really want to get into a highly selective business school it's not that expensive to do a mock interview with an admissions consultant, and it could yield uh, some really important insights and help you uh, prepare and feel like you are on, not scripted, uh, that mm-hmm. you're very spontaneous, which is important. And you, it should be more or less a casual conversation, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, interviewing is a skill like any other, and it's something that you can learn. People can improve at you know, I, I have, we often um, help candidates as well prepare for job interviews. And, and um, you know, I've helped 
people of a lot of different ages, people starting out in their careers and people at sort of mid-career stage who are making looking to make a job change, um, help them prepare for interviews. And if you haven't interviewed for a while, it's it doesn't matter who you are, it's it's useful to have that practice. And and I think, you know, sometimes candidates assume that it will be straightforward because they're just talking about themselves, which is largely true. But as you say, you've got that close to getting in. It's not necessarily a huge investment at that stage to hire someone to to put you through your paces. And you know, for the sake of a few hundred dollars, it could be the difference between admission or not to 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 a wonderful program. Yep, absolutely. Maria, any last words here? Well. First of all, Caroline, I can, uh, the person who was living in Singapore and did not visit the Singapore campus, I have a, a funnier, a funny version of something similar where I, when I used to interview for my undergraduate college uh, admissions as an alumna interviewer, you know, I went to a college that was in its own, it was in a college town. So it was, you know, in a very suburban area. The town pretty much only existed to serve the college. It was an hour away. It was, it was an hour away from New York, an hour away from Philadelphia, but still it was not in a city. And so I, I, I'm doing an interview with a high school senior applying and I'm like, you know, why do you want to come to this school? And she very earnestly looked at me and said, I've always wanted to go to a school in a really, really big city. I just love big cities. Yeah. This is when I was living in Hong Kong at the time. Right. So she's like, we're in Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong is a great big city. I want to stay in big cities and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, you know, my school's it's not in, it's not in the big city. <laughs> uh, it's, it's going on and on yeah the energy that you get from being in a city and i'm like well yeah um yeah i just i just think you know it's it's when 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 caroline and i we we come on this you know every week all three of us are here and we're talking about things like the importance of fit and the importance of really doing research and the importance of really having your story ready to go it's not just because we are we enjoy giving you work and we don't want you to have fun with your life <laughs> and the admissions officers aren't just giving you these hoops to jump through because they're sort of these sadistic taskmasters who want to see you sort of you know whoa jump how high do you can you jump you know how, do these things for me you, you know, dancing entertainment like no these are there there's the real reason that we that admissions officers ask what they ask and then there's a real reason why we advise people to do what they do and so for example something like you know the fit for a school you know, you might in, in the in the written application, you might only get a few couple dozen words maybe to say, well, what's your career vision or, you know, what a couple of characters to say, well, what do you want to do and where do you want to work and why this school? And then or, you know, why? Why is this your career what you want to do with your career, for example? And then once you get to the interview, if that if you only thought about it at a shallow level for the written application and then you get in front of someone at the interview and they start asking those probing questions and it falls apart like wow it's it's a shame but it's also like you, you know <laughs> that's why we say what we say right inventing we're not just making things like oh well it might be really good to really research a school very well like <laughs> i have better things to do with my time i'm not telling people to do things you know to waste their time i would not waste my time telling other people to waste their time how's that so authenticity Fair really enough. matters and don't exaggerate on your resume because if you get caught in an interview, that's embarrassing. And yeah, do do real research on the schools and career paths that you are interested in. Caroline, what does Fortuna charge for a mock interview? 
Well, it, it depends on the format of the interview. I mean, we, we've been doing a lot of group interviews um, recently for um, for Wharton. So right. let me let me tell you. So the group interview prep is, is seven ninety. And in that you would get your the group session and then a debrief with one of the Wharton specialists and they will um, you know debrief you on how things went. And then HBS is a bit more. It's 1,185 1, um, because it's it's a very different format. And and so we 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 do some extra preparation for that, and then um, there's uh, discussion about the reflection piece and so on. So it depends on the format type. Right. And Maria, what does Applicant Lab charge for a mock interview? Well, so for, just for starters, Applicant Lab does have an entire. I do sell access to just the interview module only, which covers I don't know something like 20, 25 common questions. I have in-depth advice for especially the Harvard and the Wharton interviews in particular, because they are so unique. Um, I also have advice in there for the two additional essays you have to write for the MIT. You know, if you get invited to interview for MIT Sloan, it's not technically part of the interview, but you have to submit two additional essays to them prior to the interview. And so I have advice uh, for that in there. And also Booth usually also has an extra facet to, to, you know, once you're invited to apply, I think you have to make a video or something. So I've got advice for all of that. Um, and that is less than $100. And it's tons of videos of me giving examples of good answers and bad answers and what makes a good answer, what makes a bad answer. In terms of, on top of that, if you would like to purchase a mock interview, again, as with, as Caroline, and I think everyone, anyone who's done this for a while quickly realizes that some interviews are a lot more work than others. So uh, a sort of a standard MBA interview uh, with one of my applicant lab alumni, who are people who use the lab, went through it, graduated from business school, and now are, are doing this part-time, uh, that's $400. And then my HBS interview is $750. But I do spend at least one hour preparing for every HBS interview. And I spend that full hour preparing. I will research your company and the stock ticker. And why is your stock price down 25%? And you said you want to work for Google, but Google doesn't do this. And so why would you go work there? And you know, <laughs> no, seriously. And you know, you said that you were part of this thing, but like when I looked at your LinkedIn, I didn't see anything about that. So I, but then again, to be clear for my HBS interview, I, I give people the hardest version of the interview, hoping that it will not be that bad, but just to be clear. <laughs> So you put people in the dark room, shine a bright light in their eyes, and then grill, grill, grill. I, I try, I try to make it, you know, the the hardest version I can think of, because I figure yeah. <laughs> it's easier than whoo. Hopefully, that's a big relief. But I'd rather do it that way than do it the other way around and be like super friendly and like that makes sense, um, and not push back. And then if they do get someone who's more of a of a skeptic, I'd rather over prepare than under prepare. Mm. What about crazy questions? You know, uh, obviously the basic questions are, you know, why did you go to this school? Uh, bring me through your resume. Uh, what's the culture like at your company? Uh, what do you do? And, you know, what impact have you had? But but there are at times uh, interviewers who ask really strange questions. And what I'm thinking of is, you know, when when the Harvest publishes its guide, of questions that students actually give to the harvest. Um, there are some like, you know, uh, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? I mean, what kind of what kind of question is that? I mean, you know, there's some wacky questions. There really are, right? Why does that happen? Ooh, it's because, well, it's because 
admissions officers aren't stupid and they know that people are preparing for these interviews and they know that there are postings everywhere and there are books being sold and there are people are doing question banks. And so if I can think of a question that's not in a question bank, then that's not already online, right? Because if the point of the interview, if one of the big points of the interview for HBS in particular is, will this person be able to handle the lightning fast changing of topics uh, that might happen in the case discussion classroom? Can they, you know, do they get thrown off if they come in with an idea of like, this is what I am going to say. And today's contribution to class is going to be X. And then if the class discussion quickly veers in a completely different direction, Will you be able to catch up or will you be like, oh, no, the thing I had I'd thought about for hours, I'm not going to, you know, are you going to flounder in that kind of a situation or can you think quickly on your feet? And so in a way, all of these resources, the more resources that get provided, the bigger, the higher the bar is or the bigger the challenge is for me to try to think of something that you would not have thought of. To see, because if the point is, I want to see how quickly you, you think on your feet. When a, when a conversation goes in a direction you don't want it to go in or you did not expect it to go in, right? If I push back, let's say, on your career vision and I really push and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. That's, you know, why would you say that? Do you get defensive? Do you get angry? If I throw something totally random at you, do you just like go, uh, 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 you know? <laughs> um, and so, and so, you know, the, the, it's almost like a, it becomes like, a, I have circular references on the brain. It becomes like this kind of like, you know, this cycle in a way of like, the more information gets out there, the more random I have to get with a random question in order for it to truly be random and so on and so forth. It's the circle of life, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a, it's a take you off script is what you're saying. Yeah. Ideally, there shouldn't be a script to begin with, but yeah. that's right. Exactly. Caroline, what's the wackiest question NCIAD asks of applicants? Well, I mean, the interviewers aren't supposed to ask super wacky questions. But as you say, I mean, sometimes funny things get thrown in. Um, and, you know, it's, it's important for candidates to keep in mind that although preparation is very important, and, you know, as we've said, it's important to prepare, you will not anticipate every question that they're going to ask you. You're going to get a question that will you will have not have thought about. It's coming out of left field. So that's also an important part of your preparation is to think about how you're going to respond and just be ready to think on your feet, as Maria says. You know, that that is an important skill to have. And also it's important to think about how you're going to respond. If you do flunk a response to a question, right? That can happen. And sometimes um, in interviews, you might get a question and, and you know, you have a blank. Um, it's okay to take some time to reply, right? That's that's also important to keep in mind is that it's all right to pause for a moment and gather your thoughts before responding. You don't have to fill every single second with noise. And it's also important to manage your nerves so that if you do mess up a question, it doesn't then spiral out of control because that does sometimes happen with candidates where they they lose their confidence. They they feel that they've messed up a, a response, and then they you know everything falls to pieces. And so you don't want to be that candidate. You want to be the candidate who can you know stay composed. And if you don't give your best response, you move on and you um, you know you stay calm and um, and and regain your confidence. So that's that's important to anticipate because you will likely get a question that that will throw you. 
And this yeah. is why I think it's important. This is why I, I advocate that people, instead of trying to, again, like, oh, there's 300 questions I might get. So let me think of answers for all 300 questions. I think it's important to have, I call them like Swiss army knife stories. Like in other <laughs> words, stories of things that you've done that depending on which variation or which flavor of question you get, if it's a teamwork question, you know, 80% of the story is the same, but maybe you focus on the teamwork component. Or if it's an innovation question, 80% of the story is the same, but then you focus more on what was new and exciting about it. And so if you go in with, you know, thinking about it, like, okay, with I've got my Swiss army knife question, my, my greatest hits, and I've thought about them in these different ways, that way you're prepared for whatever variation of question you get. You know, it's funny, sometimes people really, to Caroline's point, sometimes people freak out if they're like, you know, uh, they, instead of saying, walk me through your resume, they said, tell me about yourself. And it really threw me off. And I'm like, it's the same question. <laughs> it's the same question. <laughs> oh my really? gosh. Right. Sometimes, you know, and, and the other thing I, I think about it to, to, to build on what she was saying about not, if you do say something wrong, or if you don't know an answer right away, it's fine to say, huh, that's really that's really good. Well, give me, can I have a second to think about that? Yeah, thanks. And just take a second. These are real people. This is not a military tribunal in North Korea. Like this is, <laughs> you are allowed. These are real people on the other side who, you know, it, it's perfectly fine if you're in real life to say, wow, I don't know the answer to that. Let me think. I need a second to think about that. Um, or, you know what? I'm sorry. I was just saying something and I realized that I, can I just, let me, let me, let me start over. Let me, or something like that. It's okay to do that because you would do that in a regular conversation at work. If you right. were talking to your boss, if you start presenting something to your boss and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, you know what? Actually this number, oh, you know what? I just thought of something else. Never mind. Like that's what, if that's what you would do with your boss or with a coworker, it's perfectly fine for you to do it in an, in an interview as well. And it's certainly better than, you know, doubling down on the bad answer or then, or spiraling out of control and beating yourself up so much that then you just become this kind of blob, quivering blob <laughs> of sadness and, and onk. Sweaty um, hands. That's right. Funny, yeah, sweaty I, face. I, 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 do, I do like the idea of thinking about answers as if it's a Swiss Army knife, meaning you can then apply uh, or torque your answer to whatever the question is and incidentally get your point across. This is what really smart uh, CEOs do when people like me go in and interview them. Uh, they don't really answer the question, although that could be a problem, frankly, um, but they want to get their point across. So somehow they use the question to give the answer that they want to give. Of course, then there's the, there are some tricky questions. I know we've published things like, what's the one thing you'll never be as good at as, as others? That is an actual Harvard Business School uh, admissions. That's question. a common one. That's a common yeah, one. What go. are you not so good at? That's because it's self-awareness. Yeah. What do you want to be remembered as? What's your definition of a leader? How do you fit that definition? How do you make big decisions? How would your parents describe you when you were 12? That's a weird one. What is one thing I'd never have guessed about you, even after reading your application? What is one thing you would like me to remember about you? Um, all interesting questions that, um, some people may not expect, but again, Swiss army knife. I like that metaphor. I really do. <laughs> All right, everyone out there. Uh, good luck. Uh, when you do go in on an interview, you know, do realize, um, that it is just an interview. You need to be yourself. You need to be casual. You need to be somewhat relaxed, even if for you, the stakes are high. 
um, because they're looking for professional presence as well. Uh, and maybe that's as important to them in some cases than the actual answers that you give. Um, the, the other thing is, hey, it's uh, it's a 50-50 shot. Basically, usually half the people or a little bit more than half who get an interview are accepted. Uh, and I'll go back to what uh, Caroline's original comments were during our podcast. They're crafting a class. Um, they may interview a number of people who are in the same pool as you are. They may be consultants. They may be investment bankers. They may be me in tech, they may be non-traditional, um, they may be uh, from a certain country or a certain gender, uh, and you're competing against them even at the interview stage. And it's very simple. You could do a really good interview, and then ultimately um, they pick someone else who may have even done an interview that wasn't as good as yours for some other reasons. You just don't know. And that's that's the big mystery of admissions that I think drives people crazy, to be honest, uh, because most schools, of course, almost all schools don't give feedback because it would be an impossible task. Maria? Yeah, but so that, first of all, anyone listening to this, listen to our last podcast about how many schools should I apply to, and that's why I should apply to lots of people, lots of schools. But also, this, this is also like, it's the same thing with like dating or applying for jobs. Like, you're, if, if we all like married the first person we dated, because it was, you know, like, that's why you go on lots of dates with people. That's why you apply for lots of jobs. That's why you apply to lots of business schools. So I, I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, the idea of like, oh, you know, we, it's so, it's such a random thing and that's so stressful. But I mean, a lot about life is, is stressful and random in that way. And it, you know, it's not you, it's me. Right. Sometimes the school, if you get rejected from a school, it's not you, baby. It's me. Uh, and so, <laughs> so don't, don't take it. You know, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't, if you're like, oh, I went on five dates and with five different people and I didn't get a you know third date. I didn't get married to any of them. Keep, keep going. Date a lot. Or, do, a or lot. don't get married. Like, don't, you know, similarly, <laughs> like you don't have to get an MBA. Like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> maybe, maybe people relax. It's, it's, you know, it's again, if, it's, if people relax a little bit more about the process, they might do better in the process. I think that's really true. That's certainly true in dating. I mean, if you come off as stiff or arrogant or you talk too much or you talk too little, those are killers. Who wants right. to date you again? It's the right. same thing in an admissions interview. Right. Hi, my name's Maria. How many children do you want? Like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, okay. Calm down a little. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's it maybe like if you if you tell yourself like oh my gosh my whole life depends upon this like just, i don't know keep in mind that this is a first world problem that you are going to be fine you're going to have a lovely life and so if you get into business school awesome that's great we're excited for you but you know that opening irony, line didn't work for you maria i know i was so that's the opening line i used in fact for many years and it didn't work <laughs> Fun fact, I didn't think I wanted children until I got there. anyway. Uh, but so anyway, like, yeah, I just think like if you if you maybe that's part of it, maybe people who are so who take it so seriously 
that desperation or that level of seriousness either messes up their interview performance or comes across in the interview and is therefore a turnoff. And the irony being, the more importance you give this and the more you tell yourself, like, my life is over. I've been dreaming of going to MIT Sloan since I was two years old. You know, my first, the first three letters I learned in the alphabet were MIT. Uh, and so if I don't get in, my life is over. Like, interestingly enough, you might actually do really, really poorly because of that pressure that you've put on yourself. Yeah, really good point. All right, everybody. Hey, good luck on your interviews. Uh, if you're still doing them in your round one, fantastic. Uh, and of course, before we know it, the round two deadlines will be here. And before you know it, interview invites will go out or not. So uh, we're hope hoping this is helpful to you. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. 